You're listening to the Trans Narrative Podcast. The Trans Narrative Podcast is dedicated to fostering a safe and inclusive space for the trans community. It provides a platform for trans individuals to connect, share their stories, and find support within their own community. Join me, Caroline Kenny, Marialaki, Dina Permakis, Lucy Balzano, and the rotating panel of gender diverse co hosts as we create a space where trans voices are heard and celebrated. The Trans Narrative Podcast may contain explicit material, sensitive topics, and discussion. Trigger warnings are provided in advance. Uh, Caroline, do you want to introduce with uh, the bio here, or how would you like to format? Why well, was this going to be casual about? Oh, it? just going to be casual go. about it. Just start asking. Yeah, questions. yeah, right? I was, I was, I was, I was actually pulling up the outline. Ah, so uh, there it is. Okay, but, you know, but it's okay. So, um, well, anyway, Freya, it's so good to have you here on the Trans Narrative Podcast. I'm Caroline Penny, and today I'm joined with Athena from Marcus. I see. Um, Our good friend, Mariana Basquette, who's been on the show before previously many times, introduced us to you. And before we get started, if you could just give us like a brief, like, what do they call that? The synopsis. Yeah, that. There was another word for it. The, 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 your meeting room. Or biography or. Yeah. Elevator speech. Yes, that one. The elevator speech. Yeah. Can you do that? Oh, shit, I'm not good at the elevator speech. Okay, which one? Am I getting an elevator speech on books or on myself? Uh, on you. You? On you or the books. Whichever is you. Okay, I mean, they both all kind of throat were. Are. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> so bear with me. Okay, so uh, my name is Freya Kigre, and as mentioned, I'm an author. Um, I actually transitioned fairly late, uh, late in life. I was probably about, what was I, 29? Jesus Christ. Yeah, I was 29. So right now I'm 35, which is weird. It doesn't feel like it's been that long, but it has been. Uh, I grew up in a very small, like religious town. I had like a really weird background of um, um, my mom was this like, uh, she's very into Gothic literature. Like she came from Alabama. She's into like Southern Gothic. She's into, you know, a lot of classic Gothic literature. She raised me in that kind of stuff. And Rice. And well, then it's funny because then it's weird. when my parents separated when I was eight, we ended up moving to a small town and we started going to church. And I had this like very conflicted, you know, back and forth where, you know, something that stuff like that I wasn't allowed to like, you know, I was like, you know, I had to like be, you know, I had really church stuff, you know, forced upon me. But my mom would like kind of wildly go back and forth. Sometimes she'd be like super into churchy shit. And then other times she's, you know, she, like, she gave me the, the satanic Bible. She gave me, you know, a bunch of, you know, shit like that to read. Uh, when we, after she died, um, we went through her uh, stuff and we found a bunch of uh, like a, cur- a book of curses. Like she had a photo of my dad wrapped around a black candle, the eye stabbed out and it's, you know, it melted over and uh, with like a black feather. Like she did all this kind of weird shit. So I had this like very kind of, you know, Eclectic weird religious growing up. Yeah. And like living in a small town, like the idea of, you know, being trans would have never even occurred to me. Cause it was just like, that was not a thing that was even discussed. You know, that wasn't, you know, like it's like the occasional joke in a, in a movie. So uh, yeah, just like, again, I, but, but then at the same time, you know, at some, you know, in high school, should be watch Rocky picture horror show and, uh, 
or the film like Kinky Boots, like other things. So she was like, she was like so back and forth on this shit, and in the small town stuff was really repressive. So I was like, tried so hard to be this, you know, super masculine man. I'm sure like a lot, of, I'm sure a lot of trans girls know that feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, holy shit, I don't know if I'm rambling too fast. <laughs> Are you oh, guys you're actually fine. use this? Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm keeping up. Okay, so perfect. Um, so uh, a lot of stuff that I write on is um, I kind of I, you know gets best based on that you know depression and you know just the kind of casual transphobia and homophobia you know I, you know I grew up with you know like I said in a small town it never even occurred to me that I could be queer because I was so pressed to be in Australia like you know it was you know I was attracted and I think the fact that I was attracted to women that you know obviously made it kind of easier to deny but you know i definitely was attracted to men as well i just you know again i have to kind of lie about it or you know it has like i tell myself oh i'm just desperate and like having weird intrusive thoughts and mm-hmm. you know stuff like that but um anyway so a lot of my writing is uh kind of a rejection of a lot of the the church stuff that was really pushed on me i found it really um i okay i find a lot more i find a lot more comfort in classic gothic literature like you know i I like the kind of like deep depressing you know horrific you know if you've ever read any like jenji ito or um oh like obviously like mary shelley and Mm -hmm. Edgar Allan poe there's a sort of like weird hopeless desperation to their work and i almost find that more comforting than the the whole light and glory bullshit from (laughs) church you know like i just hate the whole love and light stuff you know Mm -hmm. uh I always found it really, really appealing to have a situation that was fatal, like the situation that was doomed and everyone knew, yes. it, but there was always one character and almost always a girl who still held hope. Right. Yeah. That was always like my favorite part of, of, uh, of literature. Something about that spoke to me. No, I definitely get the hope. Like, I, you know, I do like the, you know, the enjoyment of life. I like doing weird, crazy shit because you know, it's fun to have different experiences, but, uh, you know, I just find like, I don't know, the, uh, I found the love and lights of a very repressive, you know, growing up uh, in church, you know, I was like, you know, I constantly was told, like, I, I'm really into art as well, so I was always constantly told, no, I can't draw that, you know, like, you, know you can't draw, di- you know, dinosaurs and dragons or demons and all this other shit, because, you know, it's against God, and, you know, but then they're trying to encourage me to, like, you know, oh, you should, you, you can write comic books about Jesus, I'm like, I don't write comic books about fucking Jesus, like, you guys are telling me I can't draw the stuff that actually inspires me, but yeah, I, so, I came with a real restrictive media intake like background. Like my parents wouldn't want me to have anything with magic or demons or anything like that. Not really yeah. like a Southern literature. They, they had lots of different supernatural literature and even horror literature, but it yeah. was Christian horror literature. So it had all kinds of weird graphic descriptions oh, of no. demons and things, but not not of, of like you know from from their side or anything like yeah, that. I don't know what their expectation way. of of like horror movie horror, horror literature was though. Was it always going to come up on the side of the monster or what? But yeah, no, it's it's very strange for sure. Yeah, so I I, I realize I'm kind of rambling, but like, I guess oh, no, what, uh, a lot of that stuff really does inform my writing is that it's a lot of. Uh, well, okay, I'll give you the uh, idea of my most uh, recent one that went out, Neon Acid Switchblade. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I said that too fast. <laughs> Neon Acid Switchblade, available at Amazon and other fine booksellers. Yeah. So uh, this one, it's uh, it's from the perspective of three, uh, three men that murder a trans woman. And 
Yeah, and she, what happens to them is that each of them is like on their own interpretation, their own version where um, she shows up and like kills them again and again in you know horrific new ways, and they're just kind of caught in this like endless cycle of violence. And I really wanted to explore the idea like the trans woman monster is always kind of a figure I was interested in. You know, I figure because. Okay, so I've done like a you know a lot of you know positive trans characters. You know, okay. My first book, uh, Demon of Want, uh, one character Maria, she's like you know super you know very positive. But at the same time, I'm kind of interested in the idea of like you know a more kind of anti-hero or not not really no not really anti-hero. Just like kind of I like the idea of like again exploring a morally ambiguous you know trans woman monster. So the character Eliza Stafford, she's um, actually this character I started drawing when I was. In high school she's uh when when i you know i first i think when i first you know made her i was like thinking those like my ideal kind of woman you know some bullshit i told myself but it, you know over the years i sort of transitioned into her and uh so she's the main um she's the trans woman that gets uh murdered from this and i found it was just a really interesting exercise to you know, I, I liked her almost like as a slasher, but like, you know, the way she kills him gets like more and more abstract. She has a lot of like psychological stuff that's really like, I, I kind of want to push the line where, you know, it like you kind of, you're enjoying, you're, you're getting the catharsis of her revenge. You're enjoying the, you know, like kind of the funness of that, but it's also sort of like, what the fuck, you know, like you're kind of, unco- you know, almost kind of want to be uncomfortable and, you know, it does explore trauma. So even like, these guys, you know, I kind of the trauma that kind of ch- turned them into the kind of men they were, and um, so so it, it explored a lot of very uncomfortable grounds. It was very explicit, um, you know, like obviously the you know transphobic violence is explored heavily in there, so I don't shy away from any themes in that. Uh, you know, it's got the full, you know, obviously it you know it does have slurs and everything thrown in because yeah, it's realism. Realism, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm kind of, you know, interpreting it in my own sense. And I'm thinking, you know, the, the continuous uh, murdering of this man, uh, you know, I take it maybe as a representation of the trans person, you know, um, killing a part of themselves. And then these people that they, that they get revenge on maybe represent parts of themselves that they recognize from their former self. And their oh, and their 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 need to to eliminate them is rooted in in their own trauma of like being that and experiencing that, and knowing the harm, and mm. that and it's like in a way like the more that that they kill, the more that they like become whole within themselves because it's like they're killing parts of themselves that 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 aren't good. I don't know. That's just my yeah. interpretation of what I just no, did, I, so. no, you're kind of valid. Like. Um... I really like kind of the exploration of duality because again, I made her this, you know, kind of likable, you know, character. Like she's very, I describe the tone as very sardonic, you know, it's uh, kind of funny, but, you know, dark and violent. And, uh, and, you know, there was, there's this idea that um, she, this kind of comes this figure called the neon acid goddess. And she kind of, you know, as she goes on and I'm doing actually an expanded story on that. Uh, that's uh you know, kind of explores her as more of an apocalyptical figure that will, you know, captures all of humanity in this kind of cycle of unceasing violence. Hmm. But you know, I like I that I'm... aspect. I like that aspect of duality. You know, as as you were talking, I I started to think about 
you know, like horror for me. So like when I was young, my experiences with religion were very open. My mother didn't care. Literally when I was 10, I, I called her and I said, Hey, my friend, they're, they're getting baptized. I'm getting baptized. She's like, honey, this is the 10th time you've gotten baptized. And I said, <laughs> I was just having so much fun at with it. Cause I think it's fun. And, you yeah. know, I, I openly went to church myself and it was through like being um, shunned from the church through various things that that really affected me and really like going deep into the spiritual like my spirituality went from like religion christianity to to like eastern philosophy to indigenous cultures to then like total atheism then Mm -hmm. back to natural science then into psychedelics and then into new age like i don't even know and then I came to terms with my identity right on the cusp of like spirituality, like going hardcore into QAnon. Like, so um, it was, and so, you know, I'm thinking about horror in, in the, in the way that I've experienced it, which is like, you know, I, I find the use of like psychedelics and exploring the mind to be like super interesting. Oh, I and I don't, <laughs> and, and, and that to me is like, that's the scariest place you can go because that's where like these substances allow for you to like, well, one, I think that is very common is the, um, the LSD is seems to be something that like gives you control. I don't condone yeah. any of these by the way, cause it's illegal, but I'm just saying, and I don't do them currently, but I used to a long time ago, allegedly. And it was something that it was, them. well it's i don't want to anyway um i don't i haven't since i started my journey of transitioning it kind of led me to that the whole purpose of using any of those was very rooted in like these like like ritualistic like very very like spiritual journeys that i didn't oh i totally get that with the ritualistic i like the kind of ritualistic mindscape and Mm -hmm. i journaled it all i recorded it i've got like 50 hours of me just like hours and hours on my phone recording just talking and and it was you know there were times where it got really dark but it Mm -hmm. it, and 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 i always found like the idea of exploring the mind in in those ways to be so fascinating because like i don't know maybe it just gave me a different perspective but like when you look at it through that perspective it's like you know it's like you walk through forgive the the expression it's like the doors of perception and you get to Mm -hmm. see all of of who you are and it's like walking through a corridor of all of you and like if you're not prepared for that like that's where i think a lot of those horror stories of like those bad trips come from yeah is like on heel trauma bad settings yeah. the wrong people and and i just all of the of what you're talking about that's the closest that i can relate to it is like the the horror of the mind and absolutely that's what i try to do and i really like kind of the ambiguity of you know like, like got, uh, gothic literature is very much defined by ambiguity like a lot of the stuff that you know i think a lot of the really effective horror stuff is ones that don't really give you an explanation you know some people want the whole told you know like the whole story behind the monster and stuff like that so i like leaving stuff kind of very open so even in this, you know, I really look at the idea of different realities. You know, these people keep having different experiences in different realities. And, you know, I kind of leave it very ambiguous between, you know, kind of a dreamlike reality and, you know, science fiction. And I kind of, you know, I actually give like, you know, almost uh, contradictory explanations on, on certain things. Like there's no real, you know, origin. Like um, this character, Eliza, again, I really wanted to explore the idea of duality. So she's going to, you know, 
she's almost like a dual figure herself. Like I said, she has the image of the neon acid goddess and, you know, and that, you know, she kind of aspires to. And again, I really wanted to get away. Um, I don't know. I kind of want, I want to get away from, uh, again, I, I think there's a lot of pressure like on doing, you know, po- with doing positive trans characters where people automatically think mm-hmm. that means you have to do like a super perfect, irredeemable, you know, like, Mary like, Sue's. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I kind of just like the idea of exploring, you know, just being this kind of crazy self-indulgent, you know, like ultimate villain. So, yeah. Um, in my next book, you know, I kind of explore, you know, the, the book I'm planning, I uh, applied for a, a grant for the Canada Council of the Arts to, uh, to do my a book called The Sins of the Leopard, which would be kind of like more from her perspective, where uh, the first part is going to be like her attending her father's funeral. She's, you know, always ha- had these ideations of uh, revenge against her, you know, her estranged father. But, um, of course, being a typical ADHD bitch, which I, you know, obviously want to explore a lot. I really want to explore ADHD and other stuff like, you know, how that affects, you know, perceptions. And uh, anyways, uh, she just procrastinated, you know, actually ever doing anything. And, you know, she ends up finding out that he'd been, you know, has been killed. So she shows up at his, at his family funeral, at the family funeral, or sorry, his funeral. And is very unaccepted, you know, obviously unaccepted. And, um, you know, by the end of that, she ends up, you know, to, uh, kind of invoking like a ritualistic part of their uh, family history. I, I'm not really delving deep into this, I, but anyways, uh, she ends up slaughtering her whole family and uh, is killed in the aftermath of that. And the second half explores her waking up in this uh, kind of dream of her ancestral home where she, you know, meets other phantasms that have died there and uh, releases each of them from like their own meta-narrative prison. So I really want to explore the idea of archetypes, you know, ar- you know, the idea of God in the apocalypse. And so in that second part, uh, it's going to be the, uh, shit, I'm rambling a bit. Just give me a second. <laughs> so in this, uh, the second part, um, I, I should explain, sorry, this book's also split into three parts. The sins of the leopard was the first part. The second uh, part, while well, she's, uh, is called the sins of the of the lion while she's exploring her ancestral home, and she's releasing these uh, spirits and uh, raising them into an apocalypse against God. And I really want to explore the idea of you know like the the, the God as a construct. You know, like one of the biggest mm. things I think in Christianity that really made me uncomfortable was like the repression of sex. You know, the way they they really were against sex. They they were against pleasure. There's this very much like this repulsion of the flesh. So I want to explore, you know, mortification uh, of the flesh is what they they would idealize. It's funny. It's yeah. it's yeah. it's funny that they that they repress. You know, sorry to cut you off. There's yeah, the, no. they repress the flesh because I find that like the most spiritual encounter or like the most like intimate experience come from the flesh, come from the Absolutely. physical reality, come from the here and now. And I learned that through you know experiencing life is that it's 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 like there was this uh, meditation that i'd listened to years ago it was a guided one it said it was that like unity is 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 the physical reality is melting into this world and in 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 being with it yeah. is that that's what you know the the and and so i feel like maybe you know in a way that's why they would repress that in religion because what better way to control people than to keep them from the things that unite them with their human experience right. themselves the natural things that we want to do and we are driven to right. do and taught to be you know are evil and so so i really want to you know explore that idea so the destruction of god is the destruction of 
you know, all these notions that are, you know, these kind of weird made up rules and notions that are meant to control us. And so, you know, I, I don't know if this is kind of spoils shit, but the depiction of God I'm imagining is like, him as this, like, uh, as a giant lion, because um, I really like the image of pride. You know, uh, it's always taught as like the most evil sin, but I'm like, well, obviously it's the most. You know, God is proud. God is yeah, allowed to be because, proud. It's that because was it's always... God's sin. God is right. always like, yeah, God is always the like, sin of the pride is not applicable to the Almighty. Thank you very much. Right? Yeah, but you know, he but for God, it's like, oh, I'm you know, I'm most perfect at everything. Nothing I can do is ever wrong. So obviously, pride is God's sin. So you know, pictured God's this lion, but it's like this kind of horrific, mutated lion that's you know dying and you know torn apart and like lit on a uh, like on kind of like giant life support. It was kind of like almost like a you know Resident Evil kind of mutate you know mutant ver- version of that. And uh, he's just, and it's just like he's so repulsed by his own flesh and his own liveliness that he, like, you know, psychically pulses uh, that out through the universe. I missed that. Uh, the microphone away. Oh, so, so, uh, so I had the idea of, you know, like God, like I said, being this, you know, like I said, just this, like, kind of horrific bio abomination that's just repulsed by itself and his kind of, like, you know, psychically projects that throughout the universe. Mm. And, you know, it's kind of there seems to be so much uh, trauma re- related to like religion, I guess, you know, and we're talking a lot about these, these topics and they seem to be so psychologically like involved. And so I guess oh, like two part question, I guess is who are some of your influences and in behind, like behind a lot of your writing on the psychological end, uh, you know, you spoke a lot of yeah. archetypes and I, and I, and I recognize there's some figures in history that, that are very into that. I think Carl Jung was one of them. And, Mm, um, and, and, you know, and that's another thing is, is having to unlearn so much, but that's a different topic. But (laughs) my main question is like, when we're talking about these things, talk about this trauma and the horror in the mind, like, Mm. well, religion itself is a construct of, of like the mind. We created that where, like what, like experience or what happened to us as a human collective that like, like pushed for such a hardcore like religious angle of our existence i don't it's it's the people that are it's you know i think there's also conformity and ritual and you know it provides it provides like a comfortable narrative i guess you know the idea oh i just have to be a nice person i you know like it's a very vague idea i just have to do follow these rules and everything will be okay and you know god's gonna save me It, it does provide a narrative and i think one of the real horrors of the universe is realizing that there is no safety net. Like, you know, whether you believe in God or not, I kind of, or whether you believe in any kind of idea of an afterlife, I just kind of, I think you have to almost live with the presumption that there isn't an afterlife. Yeah, I think, you know, anything that is, is more, I think anything that is an afterlife is, you know, more of an, you know, is just a different experience of reality. I mean, I don't know, I just, I really believe in infinity. And, you know, I just found God is such a, God was such a, just so limiting to me like i said it was just you know everything i did was always wrong everything was you know i felt so controlled so you know and again obviously being you know being queer and just having that repression that you know like the constant same shame against sex like i really um one of the things i actually uh draw inspiration from really pull some figures like some like the harlots from the bible like also like the horror of babylon and jezebel and something like you know you actually use a lot of those names for characters because i uh you know i like that because the bible just is so against sex like i, I saw this pre- priest one time talk about the horror of babylon i really this one really hit me he said how he's like 
well, he's like, oh, it's an enemy of God. So they said it's a pathetic image of, you know, a dead horror on the ground. I said, that's terrible. Like, you know, like you think that that's just pathetic. I, you know, so I like the idea of, you know, using that image, that image against, you know, against that. It was just, you know, like I said, everything, I, I just felt so out of place my entire childhood, you know, growing up around the religion. It felt, you know, it felt so arbitrary, you know, like, again, I'm neurodivergent, so I'm not really big on rules that are just, you know, and people just give me rules out of reason. I don't like that. Like, when I was in Sunday school, my teachers initially, like, talking to me because, you know, I, I'd be able to, you know, go on full talks of, you know, going to morality and all that shit. But, you know, they'd eventually get to the point where they said, oh, it's because the Bible says so. You know, like I get to right. a corner and they're like, oh, well, the Bible says this. I'm like, okay, that's not actually an answer. That doesn't, you know, really satisfy anything yeah. I want out of this. So, And, and that's in the I, end where the authority of the Bible comes from is just the authoritarianism of the people who interpret absolutely. it for their own benefit. And the people who were in power over kids in the church over the years yeah. who have used that for their own benefit are just... Yeah, the, the worst people in hell. So I'd be friendlier with the War of Babylon in, right. in a case like that, right? Because these people are, are manipulating, maybe not consciously to their own knowledge even all yeah. the times, but you know, using for their own benefit the words of others to control and manipulate others. No, exactly. And that's so I really, you know, so I'm drawing inspiration, like obviously from, uh, well, even some Christian stuff inspired me, obviously, like uh, Dante Alighieri. Like I'm really into, uh, yeah. Uh, the Divine Comedy, especially uh, obviously uh, Inferno the most, but um, <laughs> but it's the parody. So in Inferno, we don't yeah. have room for a purgatory in like modern Christianity, it seems. But there's no, but still that duality that that you delve into a lot with the themes in your work of you know absolutely. the high and the low. Yeah, like I love you know I liked his stuff. I I liked uh, actually one thing too is. Uh, when people tell you, to, you know, you can't write self-indulgent characters, you can't, like, you know, write yourself. So, obviously, this Eliza character, as I said, as a character I kind of transition into, she's very much kind of an extreme, you know, take on my own personality in a lot of ways, and more just, you know, like, kind of fantasy take on that. But it's like, you know, Dante Alighieri is considered, you know, uh, the Divine Comedy is considered, like, you know, a classic of literature that's irreproachable, but it's the most self-indulgent shit ever. It is. Oh my god! Like it's he puts petty. himself in there. He goes and like puts all his enemies in hell. Mm -hmm. He gets. Okay, I love his like the most like masturbatory scene in there is when he gets to meet all the classic uh, you know poets. He gets. This is before you know he's been established as a great. This is just in his own mind. He's like, yes, I'm so great. That like, he gets to meet Homer. He gets to meet Virgil, who you know leads him through hell and they become best buddies. But anyways, he meets all these like classic poets and they all raise their glass in purgatory and and declare him as one of their equals. Like. You know, and then uh, finally, you know, uh, when, uh, you know, Virgil can't uh, go past uh, Purgatory, can't get into heaven, he gets led by, um, oh shit, what's her name? Beatrice, mm -hmm. who is, the, who's this kind of like unrequited love that Dante Alighieri had. Like, it's so it's fucking self insert fanfic, guys. It like, is. It really is. It's and not that high minded of literature. Yeah. <laughs> But you know what I liked about it though is I liked you know like I said I like that he has this very cosmic view of things you know like um, when he actually goes and he has to crawl into the devil's at the center of the earth uh, and he has to like crawl down the devil and he actually has this like it, you know has to acknowledge like the change in gravity and like going up the it's just written in the fourteen hundreds as well so he had, you know had to, to acknowledge that sort of change in the you know gravity going you know through the earth and centering and 
you know, again, he he drew a lot of like inspiration from mythology and stuff. So I like stuff that, uh, you know, I like a lot of authors like that. I liked Hieronymus Bosch, the painter. He did these like fantastic, bizarre hellscapes uh, that, you know, they're just full of like, just the, I, they're hard to even fucking describe. You just have to go see Hieronymus Bosch paintings to really get the sense of it. They're beautiful, horrible nightmares. And I love them. It but, very much fits uh, with the t- with what Dante describes in like the various yes. circles of hell, like biting flies and wasps and things. Yeah. No, it's very much in, in the imagery. Like whenever you're writing, do you typically find yourself attracted to any particular images you want to impress through words? Oh, absolutely. Like, um, again, uh, I, I like to explore very kind of extreme things. Like, I, I've, as I know, I've, like the violence I do is very extreme, especially neon acid switchblade. It's all done from first person perspective, and I have these, you know, guys. Like some of the things, like they're, you know, they're past the points where they should have, you know, lost consciousness, but they can still feel all this crazy stuff. But they, should, you know, like, uh, so, you know, I, I kind of want to. I like a lot of different genres. I'm very ADHD, so I wanted to explore a lot of different motifs. So, you know, I have some scenes that are very, you know, kind of. Um, you know, classic Gothic literature, like, uh, as you know, I was like, you know, graveyards and shit like that. Edgar Allan you know, Poe, that kind yes, of Yes, absolutely. Edgar Allan yeah. Poe is very much a huge inspiration. Like, I, I love Poe. And, uh, I mean, who Mary speaks Shelley. better about like torment from the first pers- person's perspective, right? really? Hitting <laughs> the pendulum, you know? Yeah. Like, he, Telltale I, I liked his, like, the psychological, or even again, uh, like, Genji Ito and Mary Shelley, you know, does like the whole, like, the kind of, the, you know, like, the back and forth in the mind and i you know i was like i like to figure like frankenstein or i feel like in a way i almost had you know transitioning i almost had to like recreate myself and you know and this kind of own image i'd you know been creating for years without realizing it but um oh shit we're talking about imagery yeah so um like i said uh, one of the other things too is as much uh, like i try to find this blend where you know the dialogue is like very much like modern people like the characters all just swear a lot they come up with like ridiculous insults you know it's like that but i also try to have like a very um kind of poetic way of describing some of the backgrounds because i really like to give a sense of deep visuals mm-hmm. and uh so so again you know each thing i'll get like a certain image like well for the character Eliza, i've associated with the, with the moon she, you know like she, she so there's this uh sequence where one guy he gets in a car accident and when he wakes up he's inside this like crashed ship on the moon and uh, most of the crew has all got like some weird infection on them and they're you know frozen there with like plants growing out of them so he goes and uh into the back he finds uh he finds like one lot he finds one of the other guys that was actually involved in the murder and he's dying like slowly from this infection and gives him a rail gun because so i did a lot of research on you know what you could actually use as a you know a weapon on you know on the moon so rail gun kind of made the most sense yeah so i did you know did some research really, you know to try and describe it you know how you'd move and it's one of the go through the, the desk you know he's going across the desolate hellscape to try and kill eliza stafford like you know uh once more and uh he ends up finding her and she's like in this big mansion it's like full of like uh sunflowers and stuff on the moon she's walking around like normal and like a you know a little cute dress and everything she has tons of really focus on her having like cute outfits because aesthetic is important <laughs> and uh you know he ends up uh he uh he, he uh you know is firing at her and um uh, 
she summons like this big like dragon out from the moon. I, again, I want to check on the visual. So she pulls out this like dragon comes out from like underneath the moon dust, mm-hmm. and it's got like swirling tongues and a whole bunch of like multitude of colored eyes, mm-hmm. and it bites the guy's helmet off. And I'd really emphasize, you know, the only thing at that point he could hear was the sounds of his life support and his own breathing. Oh, yeah. He rips off the helmet, and all of a sudden he just goes completely blank without sound, and everything above him. Like I did research, so apparently if your helmet gets broken, your eyes will start to boil, your tongue boils, everything you know gets you start floating up. So I focused on the idea that it's like oh, he's looking above and it goes full silence, and he just sees this kaleidoscope as this like dragon with multicolored eyes. His eyes are boiling. He sees like all these multicolored eyes and swirling tongues above him, and slowly dies off in the moon and yeah. wakes up as part of her garden later on. Very, very biblical kinds of imagery of dragons, <clears throat> multiple eyes and tongues, that sorts of things. Very much oh, yeah. from Revelation, yeah. Yeah, that so, like, of course, like video games, like <laughs> yeah, that's true. Resident Nine Evil, box kind huge, of thing. yeah. Resident <laughs> Evil is a huge uh, influence. Silent Hill, um, a lot of about corruption biologically. That sort of body, uh, yeah. body horror, really. And I like doing a, kind of a weird mix like that because I like my stuff has this very like again, very psychological, but very like. I, there's a lot of stuff that kind of hint at it being a biological thing. Like I kind of like the ambiguity of, you know, this, um, so the, so the main characters get, this gets called Neonasa switchblade. She stabbed, uh, when she was killed, she's stabbed with her own switchblade that she pulled on these guys when they were trying to, you know, when they were harassing her. And, um, uh, she bleeds neon acid, which is like this like kind of bright green, uh, acid, you know, like, you know, neon acid, yeah, bright green acid. That's like her eye core. And, uh, I really kind of like to, again, like just make this very ambiguous, you know, like how she created this, how she came to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, she even feeds on her. You were talking earlier about the idea of like, you know, revenge and violence and like, eat, you know, feeding on, you know, like kind of eating on yourself. One of the things is like she does, uh, I, you know, like at one point, there's uh, several points where they find, you know, several of like dead, dead Eliza's. And she's like, it's like, she's like feeding off of her own self across the galaxy, from her, across the universe from all her different deaths. And, so so speaking of like you know we're talking a lot about imagery and visual media and arts yeah um freya this is not the only type of uh work that you do writing novels and such yeah. uh you are involved in other things uh visually would you like to elaborate on Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, project that you had just done here recently in december last year how do i pronounce it is it groovy yeah, so I was on Groovy Girls. It's a uh, it's a trans porn site. I mean, this is one Ooh. that's more okay. So this one, this a lot of the site audience, I'm told, is you know more straight guys that are you know trans girls. But mm. you know, one of the things I liked is like their language was really inclusive. You know, it seems like they're careful. It wasn't all like, you know, it wasn't all like hot she males and you know stuff like that yeah. actually you know, problematic used... language problematic language <laughs> yeah exactly so it but um so you know so they they were really respectful actually so it took a couple of months to set up because the guy was uh the producer was in uh, another province but um anyways it was really you know obviously did like a lot of consent and stuff they had to see all my id you know they were like very you know everything i kind of discussed ahead of time and uh, even before I went there, you know, they had to tell me, you know, I couldn't have anything to drink, couldn't have any uh, drugs or anything. You know, I had to do it on camera, you know, say that was the case, and then I fully consent to everything. And the guy was very, like, easygoing. You know, like, the, the guy was, you know, was constantly making sure I was comfortable. 
Like it was a really respectful process. Um, mm. Yeah, and then like before that, you know, I did only uh, done only fans and stuff. I've been kind of neglectful on it for a while, but that was you know where it started out. And uh, actually, just recently too, I've been doing some like nude art modeling. Does your horror, does your like graphic novel type of like scene translate over into the uh, the adult uh, films that you do? Oh, very much. Like you know, I do. Um, like, I tend to wear really, I tend to wear like really kind of ridiculous outfits. Like I have all these like how, dresses that have like like Halloween looking prints, and uh, nice. I wear devil horns like as a normal thing. So even in one of my porn shoots, I had devil horns in it. I had uh, actually I wore my. Uh, so I also work at a, th- uh, you know, as mentioned earlier, I work at a theme park. And, yes, uh, oh my god! I, uh, I actually uh, I wore my costume from there for one of the shoots. So I had this like cool ass zombie dress where it looks like it's like a striped shirt that's like been kind of sewed on sewn onto like a really patchy dress that's got like you know different black patches and uh like patches with like zombies, like you know, bloody zombies and everything. And uh yeah, I wore that for the shoot. So uh like I my it's like definitely as expressed in that. Uh, like the other thing too is I have I got in a little bit of trouble with uh, OnlyFans for this, you know, stuff weapons. I did like a few things like swords and stuff. Mm. I have a whole shit ton of swords and knives. And, you know, so I've done like, you know, see poses like with that and martial arts stuff. Uh, even when I do the, um, uh, I've, only, I've only been doing it for like a couple of months, but even when I've done like the new modeling for art, you know, I tend to bring weapons for props and I'll pose with those. And uh, yeah, I've, I've think I've, I think I've had the devil horns for the, one of the things. But yeah, so like visual culture really uh, plays heavily in this stuff. Like I was, um, a lot of my characters I create end up coming from art. You know, like I'll say I said, Eliza was a character I drew when I was a kid. Most of the characters are things I've drawn or I have like monsters. I've just kind of doodled randomly in like five minutes. And next thing I have the whole storyline and they, you know, they fit into stuff. So um, look, I, I really like uh, one of the aesthetic ideas. Like I like incorporating some like uh some of the weird monster imagery in with like very feminine stuff. But I also like the contrast of like uh, some masculine aspects. back. So like I'm six foot four, I'm about 260 pounds. I'm like, like really kind of muscular, but um, and obviously, you know, I, I tend to like a lot of hobby, you know, like I've gone into boxing. I like, I, I get into like a lot of things that a lot of people would, uh, would normally see as masculine, but I like how they play off against like, you know, my hyper feminine means of dressing my hyper, you know, mannerisms and everything else mm-hmm. yeah but sort of just playing on that duality kind of thing a bit yeah absolutely and uh you know like a um so whenever i drew like characters as a kid i was uh like especially eliza i always have her like in these like very elaborate dresses and stuff that have like crazy like scenery painted across or cartoon characters and i remember like a friend of mine telling me he's like oh you know it's like it looks okay for a comic but you know people won't dress look good in real life and it's funny because nowadays that's what I wear all the damn time. Like, and I look fucking amazing. Say hi. Oh, sorry. That's my wife is going to kiss quickly. <laughs> so, but, um, so yeah, like, I, I think my, like, you know, like my art styles like that too, where, um, 
Actually, I don't know if you want to see any article. I got some stuff right here. I know you won't be able to see it for the podcast, but no, we're on video too. Okay. Yeah, we'll be able to also share share that uh, oh, okay. link wise if we if you're comfortable with us uh, sharing a link to your page or do you have? Any- oh yeah, you can. Yeah. I was just gonna say. Uh, I mean, you're gonna edit the video, so you might have to. I don't know if you might have to pull something out, but okay. I'm sure you're okay with like a picture of a trans girl with a heart full. Or oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Please. I don't know if YouTube yeah. will like that, but you so, know, <laughs> we're not streaming right now. That's the important part. So. Oh, okay. I don't know if you can see it very well. Here's the. And now it does have a bunch of like, sl- it does have like slurs on there. I should have mentioned that for like mm, talking yeah. more, but it does have because the reason was, I put them on as uh, basis one on the image of the world from uh, from tarot, and it's you know very much a. Uh, because the world's always described as a sort uh, as a you know a figure that was in, uh, androgynous, mm-hmm. and um, I, I you know I put like okay I know the slurs on there like I kind of wanted them to be kind of they're a bit abrupt you know it is a thing that's you know seeing like you know transphobic slurs on there is a bit abrupt and it is a bit jarring. I know you, my wife, when she first saw it, she was kind of like really confused about that. Yeah. And for me, it was just, it's one of those things that's like, no matter what, I'm going to be called those things by people. So yeah. it's like, I might as well just be like, okay with it. It doesn't matter. You know, it's like, yeah, sure. You know, I am, if you think I'm a tranny whore, like whatever, you know, what, uh, that doesn't matter to me. <laughs> you know, it doesn't. Has, so. has there been any experience or moment in your life that has affected, you know, the way that you write or the way that you approach your creative uh, endeavors? Um, I think it was just um, a lot of it. it uh, how do I put this? I got like, this weird contradictory, like uh, I think a lot of my mental health and, you know, life doesn't uh, involve it. Doesn't. Sorry, let me go over this again. He's <laughs> jumping over. It's made some water. Sorry, we have an editor. She's decent. Yeah. I think a lot of, like the uh, trauma I had growing up really in- uh, involves it. Like I had a lot of people. I think because I was ADHD, I was always like a bit. And actually, I was recently diagnosed as uh, having a like, schizotypal traits. Mm. And um, I-, I think with that, like I've always been just sort of like a little bit weird. Like I've learned how over the years, like now now people find like endearing and charming. But I think you know growing up as supposing to be a boy, you know, like there was a lot of my traits that were just not okay. And I never really understood, you know, I didn't never really understood what I was doing wrong. I didn't know how to like, you know, change who I was. Yeah. So, you know, I had a lot of like, you know, um, a lot of pressure to like, you know, I had to be like a proper man, you know, like no matter what, like, mm-hmm. I, like I said, I was big and strong. I, like I, was, I, I worked at a construction place where, you know, I could like out muscle everyone there, but it was just like it was nothing I ever did was quite right. I was never you know man enough and never fit in quite right. So you know like and so, so you know it's just that a lot of a lot of that's you know not fitting in, and even just some like the violent stuff. You know like my uh, you know my dad was physically abusive. My mom it was she was like a good parent in a lot of ways, but she was also you know like I said intensely transphobic and homophobic and that you know caused her a lot of repression and you know she really pushed as a single mom it's like she had extra pressure she wanted to be extra manly so there's that i had um even you know even as a kid i had you know like i had uh two times where like, i had a, fr- a friend of mine pull a knife on me one time i had another you know um 
and uh like when i was a kid when i was babysitter one of the kids you know pulled a knife now at the time i was kind of lucky i mean i was a big kid like my one friend did you know i picked up a desk and you know he went and cried for his grandma and then uh when i had the base and i happened to have a hockey stick in my hand so i was like i was prepared for it but it was just it, you know things like that it just have always kind of put me on edge you know i had people you know attack me as a kid you know randomly I, you know so i'm a very kind of paranoid and guarded person and that gets expressed a lot in there like even as i said i think with neonats switch but you know the way eliza died you know i've always you know I, i've always been almost acutely aware of how to be like prepared to be in a self-defense situation and you know what i do and i and you know people always tell, tell me you know no matter what you know like they was i, I guess I, at some point i kind of you know because i did a lot of martial arts like filled up where i thought i was like pretty strong and invincible but you know kind of hit me after getting my boob job weirdly enough first time i ever had any kind of surgery that put me out of commission for the first time and, and uh, that's also when i first started smoking weed and I just kind of went into this like weird depressive cycle where, you know, for the first time I really felt vulnerable and, you know, it's where I kind of finally accepted like, okay, maybe something I could go wrong if I ever had to be in a, you know, situ- you know, self-defense situation. And so that's when was that exploration, you know, like, you know, so you heard, um, knives have always been like an important, knives and swords have always been important to me symbolically and uh, just, and, you know, so I figure that seems like the way I'd probably go. <laughs> Let me ask you this. You know, you this was this is interesting that you brought that uh, part up about you know smoking had you know brought some or alleviated some pressure, um, mm. and you we, we talked a little earlier because I had mentioned the um, the psychedelics which I feel it has like very rooted in like so many of the religious experiences Absolutely. that that are that are that are brought up and and I guess I wanted to know you know has your experiences with those uh substances uh, i mean obviously they must have impacted your work but in what ways have they impacted your your work and what experiences did you have when you did that that led to some of um you know the 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 works that you've produced so uh what's funny with those is that i actually didn't start doing that sometimes like really late in life like i actually used to like never smoke weed never you know I, you know, it's like I, I had such a pressure growing up that I had to be like this, like perfect person. You know, like um, my mom really pushed me into literature, so I, you know, I had this idea. I always had to be like perfect and amazing at, at that. I had to be perfect. You know, like I had to be strong, and amazing. That so it was almost like I, I convinced myself I had to like you know not touch drugs and even alcohol. I mean, I could get out of hand with it, but it was never you know like never a big huge thing. But uh, anyway, so. Um, despite the fact that I never really got into it, people always assumed that I did a lot of drugs just because of the way I kind of talked about stuff. Uh, the way I, especially the stuff I draw, cause I always like drawing like, you know, just, just weird psychedelic landscapes and, you know, I, I don't know. I just like bizarre shit. And so, uh, so it, it was weird. So when I did finally do them, it did, um, it's, it's almost like it, a lot of stuff that I already kind of thought and felt, it just like helped confirm that stuff more. If that makes sense. Like just my, my views on, uh, it, it made me, it helped me be more comfortable with that. You know, mm-hmm. when I, uh, especially so, so as much as like now I'm very much like fuck God and, you know, I reject all that kind of stuff. 
it's very easy for me to say that at one point, you know, I had still had that so ingrained that I had, you know, there's still this like little slight fear of like, well, maybe, you know, maybe, <laughs> you know, if there is still a God or whatever. It's like but... the first time you go into the bathroom and you turn off the lights and you close the door and you say Bloody Mary into the mirror and, yeah. you know, it nothing happens and you're like, okay, 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 okay. There's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Like it was one of those things that what made me finally be really comfortable and just finally kill God in my mind was, uh, like you know, it already had that cycle. You know, it already had yeah, psychologically. What really kind of just confirmed it was like one time. This sounded weird. I was uh, on shrooms with a buddy, and we watched the film Zardos. That was my first time seeing it, and I know it sounds weird, but like because uh, everyone just knows it is that funny film where you see Sean Connery and the uh, bondoliers and the uh, loincloth. But mm-hmm. and, and but it's actually like this brilliant like Nietzschean allegory, and uh, like I obviously like okay, so I'd only. I'd already been introduced to some, you know, a lot of themes of Nietzschean stuff, you know, through cultural osmosis and, you know, and other stuff. And obviously from Gothism always has a kind of explorations, but uh, weirdly enough that, you know, that film and, you know, doing shrooms and even just like some of the other stuff I've, you know, like I burned a bunch of like family pictures and stuff on time ritualistically on shrooms. And those things just kind of like amplified the, the, I guess the, the psychological experience of it you know it's like i could just really confirm that so it like weirdly enough start off sort of articulated just how completely we are alone in the universe and that there is no god in heaven you know <laughs> that makes any sense so, i mean i guess i'll have to see the film at this point okay so how has your um experience well you know your work really it's like you know you write all the horror and and, and the things that you do and then it's like you act it out in these in these scenarios at the amusement parks so you know how has your writing and in, in, in your experiences at the amusement park you know you talk about a lot of duality is there a sense of duality when it comes to that work uh, in the amusement park and so I guess uh, well, what I do at the amusement park is, um, like I said, I, I always wear like a kind of a cute Halloween-y looking dress, but so, you know, something kind of really cute and short. I usually, you know, got my tits hanging out. And uh, like, I'm very, I kind of do this, uh, I don't want to rely on jump scares. I want to make sure people are actually like genuinely scared. So what I do is um, uh, I kind of like, like let, let, I let people see me and I'm always like kind of friendly. I'm like, hi. And it's like, you know, kind of really cute voice. And like, so I got the Oracle going on. And I'll usually kind of like, like I started doing a thing recently where I expanded, where I got kind of like there are people around. So I'll have like this, I got this like, uh, even with the cute dress, I got these like uh, daggers and stuff like hanging off a belt. And I usually have like some weird makeup going on and devil horns. So again, I like that duality of the cuteness with this kind of like dangerous thing. And I started getting this habit of pull up this like big, uh, pull this like big medieval looking dagger. And I'll point at somebody randomly, like when a group's coming, I'll be like, I'll get the big knife just for you and it's kind of scamper off and now like the, the this amusement park it's like a temporary thing it just goes up in october so a lot of it's like built in like um like some of the parts i'm built uh, that i'm in are built inside of uh, sea containers so you got like the nice corrugated steel so i get down to the very like far end and face everybody and again i make sure like say hi and make sure that you know they see me because i don't want them to be you know i want them to know i'm there so usually people they kind of see that they calm down they're like oh okay she seems nice or you know she's you know or they're like looking around 
And then I'll flip out the big, I have this like big six foot, uh, it's an old Dodge bread. Like, so it's basically like a big six foot katana. I had this thing made by the blacksmith uh, for play when I was in high school. I drag that across the corrugated steel. It makes like this huge, like thundering <laughs> noise as I go around boom, <laughs> saying boom, to people. Boom, boom. And it's so awesome. Cause like, okay. When you have like a group of like, you know, five or six, you know, big tough guys, like scrambling and tripping over themselves, trying to run away. You feel like a bad bitch, <laughs> like, but you know, that's very much informed, you know, again, like how I uh, try to play the character of, um, you know, uh, of Eliza, like, you know, and, how, and it forms my everyday life. And, even my art is I like this sort of duality of this, you know, very kind of fun and playful and feminine thing with, you know, with this dangerous and violent and, and darkness. In a very yeah. literalized sense, yeah. Yeah. So um you know, actually that's one thing too. I mean, you know, like uh I t- I try to do um it's kind of going back a little bit to the stuff about imagery, but I'm very like uh, blatant, like upfront with sex in it and violence and nudity and everything like that because, to me, that's just part of human experiences. You know, like you know, like I've always found it so bizarre, and it's also like the puritanical bullshit that you know, like we're not allowed to show, you know, the human bodies. You know, so like that's what you know, like I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with you know sexuality. Like you know, we're told. You know, like the people are like, oh, you know, it's more tasteful to like you know pull away from the sex and everything. It's like why? Like, just because you're afraid to look at sex, you know, why that makes it more tasteful. It's just, that's just a realistic part of human expression, you know, like old, you know, there's so many uh, other cultures and religions that, it, you know, ex- you know, showed sex in their art and it doesn't diminish it. It's part of our experience, you know, and even, you know, same thing, like I said, with the violence, like I find, um, again, cause, okay. So I like the horror aesthetic. I like over the top, like eighties horror, violence, stuff like that. So I kind of want to go like that, but more extreme, but part of it too, is that I, I think, I, you know, again, we're adults. Why are we like, you know, I'm writing for adults. Why the hell am I going to make the violence? Like, you know, Disney fied, you know, like if, if you watch like superhero movies, a lot of violent stuff happens, but you know, there's a big swelling heroic score and, you know, you'll, you know, and just, you know, they pass by it very quickly. So it's okay. But violence is violence. And so I think in an adult narrative, you know, there's no reason I shouldn't be realistic about it. Or I shouldn't, you know, or I shouldn't be, you know, just be blunt in depicting, you know, that or sex. And well, there's a lot of the divorce from like the body that is kind of a part of like how churches operate. Like in Catholic churches, like the suffering of Jesus is like presented as very real and there's a Jesus on the cross. They're suffering all the time for your yeah. viewing pleasure, but they take away that body in the Protestant churches. And then they mm. really, I think that a lot of the holiness feelings that you get out of evangelical churches and proselytizing churches with those revivals and big tents is all mm-hmm. about body hacking. You yes. pack enough people in a tight space and you get them to sing along to the music. You give them this religious experience and tell them that that's God talking to them. Yes. Yeah. And you can set them about your purpose pretty much. That's the unfortunate reality of what, what happens in America too much. And it's just mm-hmm. body hacking temples that we have on every street corner in America here. Absolutely. No, I, I agree 100%. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty disturbing to think about, but it's just kind of a, a linguistic trick that you can use to manipulate people if you keep them unaware of how your body actually works. Yeah, absolutely. And they try right. and keep that restricted to only this experience can happen in this church, so don't try this holiness experiment in this context. You can have right? a religious 
and existentially enlightened experience in any situation. It has happened No, to plenty absolutely. of people in lots of different areas, but they want to keep in control that. That is your body. You have the right to that, but they think they have the only license that's valid for it. Right, exactly. And that's what um, I think ultimately what I'm really against is just like staunch conformity. Like one of the things about transitioning was it really freed me. Like I think being a guy, there's always so much like, oh, you need to dress this way. You need to do this. You need to, you know, like there's always so much like guys just scrutinize every fucking thing. Like I remember one time I worked at a, uh, uh, at a grocery store and I commented about some flavor of yogurt. I said, oh, that looks good. And this guy's like, oh, you eat yogurt? Like as if that was, you know, because that's so unmanly like you know what i mean like there's just so many weird scrutinies and when i, I transitioned i was finally like you know what i don't give a shit i'm just gonna wear the hell i want because people are gonna look at me anyway you know i'm always kind of getting stares anyway so now i just wear the hell i want so, you know i can yeah. be ridiculous like I, I mix like i said I, I have all these like cute like uh summer dresses with you know like halloween prints and different you know i have one one that's got a bunch of like naked people like renaissance art on it and uh i actually want to customize some stuff with some art but but then i'll wear it with like a like a medieval loop belt and you know i have all horns and just all my like weird different shit i like you know i like playing around with aesthetic and experimenting with different you know mm-hmm. and yep. it's like i'm like who cares now what, like what's something gonna do like give me a weird look yeah <laughs> And there's a lot you more. Baby in, okay. <laughs> there's a lot baby. more Sorry. freedom, I think. That... Sorry, you to meet yourself. I got, I got it. Oh, okay. No, she got herself. Um, there's a lot more acceptance that you really find in actually practicing these things than a lot of people mm-hmm. think they have, like mental leeway that they have. Absolutely, like, you can pull it off most likely if it's you know covering all of the essential bits. I mean, obviously, your mileage may vary if it's in front of your mom or your cousin or whoever is morally policing you or whatever. But generally speaking, people don't want to look at whoever's on the street and judge them and take time out of their day to harass them, generally speaking. Yeah, and I think sometimes, yeah, pulling something off is just being bold enough to wear it, you know? That's absolutely. So you've got, uh, you know... uh, uh, I was like, any any futuristic, you know, you you kind of describe your work as being cyberpunk. Any futuristic uh, affectations that you wish you could wear that, that you might have had in your character's outfit? Oh, good question. Uh, I mean, honestly, robotic eye always seems cool as fuck. <laughs> like anything like that. I mean, who the hell does want a flamethrower and like a <laughs> whole bunch of like you know cybernetic blades? That'd be cool. I, I always. Sorry, uh... oh. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Am I? Oh, no, sorry. Shall I mute you again? Oh, no worries. No, that's good. No, no, no. I'm here now. I'm here now. I wanted to know, you know, as 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 we begin to wrap up here. Oh, no um, well, I just so, want to go I into think... a, a line of just inquiry just on cyberpunk in general. It's kind of a forte of mine. Uh, is there, we've got oh, the okay. final go ahead, discussions. Any, any other questions that we need to nail along the way? Because I can angle it. Oh yeah, I mean, I got uh, uh, my book. I want to talk. I want to one of my short stories is cyberpunk, and I can. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, I I just think that cyberpunk is a, an excellent starting point for a lot of people to think about what it means to be transgender or what it means to have a different kind of body. In in general, we think about like movies like The Matrix, where your consciousness is a representation of something different. That that's an obvious like now pretty Absolutely. well understood and accepted trans metaphor uh, that I didn't see as such at the time. The transference mm-hmm. of consciousness and things like that and alteration of the body, though, is very core to some of the authors that I love the best, like William Gibson and, and things like that. So 
uh, what kind of uh, what kind of message do you think that we can learn from just uh, say cyberpunk in general as yeah. as a means of approaching ourselves and our own bodies and autonomy? No, absolutely. I like uh, again as much as I'm really into the horror, like biological horror. I also like the you know cyberpunk kind of plays into that as well because it is you know the technology is altering. I you know somebody, I got a boob job, uh, which was awesome, but. Uh, oh yeah, but I already mentioned that. <laughs> Anyways, but you know, so That's I've already you know, enhanced. Yeah, exactly. I've already enhanced myself. I've already, you know, I'm on hormones, doing all that stuff. So, you know, even like, you know, even people don't realize you're just going to the gym and doing certain things. Like you're, you're always kind of customizing yourself. How you cut your hair, everything is kind of customizing, and. Uh, so that's one of the things I, again, I just think is really freeing that just realizing that I can do what the hell I want with my body, you know, so, yeah. I don't need the, you know, church telling me what's ethical or wrong. It's like, if I want to go and experiment and, you know, do, you know, I can do what the hell I want. Use the paintbrush of your choice. You know, it's, yeah. it's not their, their choice in how you decorate yourself, how you spend your time, all of that. And it's yours. No, exactly. So like, you know, the way I, a lot of the way I dress is very much defined of everything. I've been told how I should, you know, dress, you know, I, like some people say, oh, you need to dress more your age i'm like why the fuck does that matter you know like, like if anything you know i i, I prefer to listen to people that like, give me compliments i get way more of those anyway <laughs> like yeah. you know like i'm distinctive looking and you know like these people don't miss me in a crowd and uh, you know i like that and like i said it's really a reflection of my aesthetic you know like uh i had a friend you know a friend of mine uh read like a couple pages of my book and he says like oh my god i can tell you know you're he's i can tell you wrote this or you know like my drawings like it, it looks like me it's all you know very interconnected and aesthetic you know really expresses that a lot like i found one i found one of the sneakiest things is because i've always been like kind of very individualist and i remember uh you know, churches and stuff, they tell, you know, they try and tell you like, oh, you know, trying to look different is just trying too hard. You know, like, you know, if real individuals doesn't need to stand out that way, they can just, and I'm like, fuck you, you know, individuals just do what the hell you want to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I haven't want to dress ridiculous. And <laughs> well, like they, there's all sorts of, you know, talk about and like uh, the addiction narrative was a strong one whenever I was growing up. So they would talk about sin as addiction, yes. right? And not necessarily sin as harm caused, even necessarily, yeah. but rather patterns of behavior in which you would become too comfortable or experience too much pleasure or something to that. Yeah. Effect. So you had to be, you had to moderate all of your intake and all of that. Like there, there's not really any like scientific backing or anything like that. And it's all based off of people's opinion. It's just a way for them to police you. Right. All of the scriptures that they use are based off of words that have evolved over the last 3000 years. And right. You know, pretty much can be disregarded for lack of context in, in most modern settings. So. <laughs> no, it's very true. And like, like I said, the most baffling thing to me was like, it was just that whole like rejection of pleasure. You know, they're just mm. like, I never understood like, you know, the anti-masturbation and not, you know, like it's like, why the hell not is the most, is literally the most harmless thing in the world, you know, like having sexual pleasure is, you know, there's literally no reason not to enjoy sex. Mm -hmm. And so that would, like I said, again, that's one of the reasons in, you know, writing and everything, even just the way I talk is that I'm very sex positive because again, sex is just part of reality. It's a part of our natural expression. So, yeah. you know, who the I mean, fuck are these people telling us that we shouldn't do it? 
I grew up with like the songs that I knew about sex best and most uh, were about abstinence because I only yeah. had Christian music and then oh. it was pretty awful. That like, Chris, sounds like a so Caroline. If you can try and put a cut in of "I Don't Want Your Sex for Now" by DC Talk, it's horrible. I don't think we cut if I can if it's. Not copyrighted. No, it's copyrighted. No, don't worry. But oh, look I it up. It. Just look it up. I don't. Want I can put a cover of it now. No. That sounds horrifying. I've never understood that. Yeah. Oh my god. No, it's all about like this purity culture, and it's it's damaging. It's so yeah. creepy and weird. It's it's it just it's against life. <laughs> yeah, for people who have been you know targets of of uh, you know sexual abuse and things like that, it makes mm. them feel unworthy of their Absolutely. peers. Uh, so yeah, it's an absolutely toxic part of of purity culture and the way that it was executed in the '90s and yeah. as it's you know being interpreted today and as it will probably continue to be because it's about ownership in some sense of women's bodies and mm, absolutely. Well, um, well, Caitlin, we've gone through a, a lot of different points there along the end here um do you have anything yeah and i kind of probably went way off topic a lot i tend to do that and it's okay no no i I like it no you're totally fine story yeah if we if we tell like all of our ramblings it it brings in all different that's true it's okay i've thematically uh, on topic (laughs) it's okay one of our co-hosts is 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 very adhd and um we have to maybe back into our conversations often it's okay we're always I gotta learning say, she, she to... came up with a beautiful list of questions and then proceeded to do her own line of inquiry for a good hour, I would say. <laughs> That's who, awesome. who is this? Nobody. Nobody dear. Oh, Let's oh, oh, yes. I remember. Oh, I you? Yeah. I've actually done uh, Hey, like that's a... okay. The, the... I gave her an A plus on the project, too. So, oh. Who, wait, are you talking about me? No, 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 dear. <laughs> we were just finishing up the podcast, remember? Oh. Huh? I actually did the job interviews. I've like gone job interviews where I get like wildly off topic and like personal stuff with the people. And it's crazy. Well, I mean, that's kind of what hooks hooks people into sometimes. It's just your- oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's like, really- I kind of know I've done well, if, you know, if I can do- get them off topic. <laughs> you really remind me a lot in your story construction of my maid, uh, my wife's partner's husband. So it's like it's a awesome. <laughs> but no, but like we, we live together, but like he draw, writes a lot of stories, draws a lot of stories, and just off the top of his head, we'll pull up character, 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 and very obsessed with that same kind of dualism mind body dualism, body spirit dualism, that sort of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Angel and demon. Uh, yeah, I definitely want to point him to your works because I think he'd find a lot in common with them. Oh, thank you. No problem. Well, Freya, before we go, where can we find your books again? Can you tell us? Can you plug uh, your? Can you do the plug? Yeah, so my books they can be found uh, on uh, Amazon. It's probably or actually it's through most booksellers that you can like digital booksellers. Um, but uh, I've got a couple of books. My first uh, novel was Demon of Want. It's more of like a parody. It's about uh, this girl who works for a toy store. She witnesses. Let me ease me. Izumi Yamakawa, she witnesses the death of her manager uh, in a merchandising accident and discovers that he was part of a demon hunting organization that was investigating the store. And uh, she kind of just gets caught up and she's got like, it's her and her uh, girlfriend, uh, Maria, she's a trans girl. And uh, this other woman named Rhea, who's this big ass, you know, Viking chick kind of deal. And uh, it's kind of like a weird, uh, starts out sort of suburban fancy, gets very more 
ridiculous fa- horror fantasy. Like, like I said, very violent, very violent, good amount of sex. Um, I also work with a uh, work with another writer uh, named Fox Hant. Uh, we've kind of we uh, do uh, we did a sci-fi co- collection recently called um, Rumble and Grow. I can't believe I just had to hesitate there. <laughs> As I said, I'm very stoned. So uh, <laughs> this one was uh, just uh, it was trans authors doing sci-fi uh, doing sci-fi stuff, and uh, we're under a collective we call ourselves Anomalous Transmissions. Uh, so uh, my story for Rumble and Grow features uh, it's called Sorrow for the Lost Lenore, and it features a group of lesbian airship pirates uh, going after a douchey YouTube star monster hunter who is trying to poach a cyborg dragon, and. Uh, then my last book I mentioned, uh, Neon Acid Switchblade, that's released under Anomalous Transmissions. And uh, like I mentioned in this podcast, it follows three men that murder a trans woman named Eliza Stafford. And she comes back as like a, you know, kind of an eldritch abomination horror and just destroys them again and again. And uh, actually, oh, and uh, no, I guess I should, might as well plug the next one. Uh, in October, uh, Anomalous Transmissions, we're also looking to release our next collection of... Um, uh, it's called uh, Slasher Fit Gothic. It's a, a trans horror collection. And the one I'm doing is called Neon Acid Death Cult. And it's just a spinoff of uh, Neon Acid Switch, uh, Switchblade. This one follows a trans girl who's um, who, after a traumatic experience, has been you know, kind of considering detransitioning. And uh, she gets caught in the curse of the Neon Acid and in a way it kind of helps her affirm her gender. And yeah. Mm. Oh, cool. Awesome. Well, I look forward to reading your material, like I say, sharing uh, as well. Um, Hey everyone, if you like this episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, and follow. This podcast is available on Apple, Audible, Amazon, Spotify, Google, or YouTube. Today's episode is recorded on July 29, 2023. Today's show is hosted by Athena Fermakis and Caroline Penny. Today's guest was Freya Key Gray. The Trans Narrative Podcast was created by Caroline Penny and co-produced by Athena Fermakis. This episode was edited, directed, and produced by Caroline Penny. Music provided by Athena Fermakis. This episode was brought to you by Spotify for Podcasters. If you'd like to reach out, learn more, be a guest, or are looking to get involved with the show, email us at transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com. The Transnarrative Podcast is dedicated to fostering a safe and inclusive space for the trans community. It provides a platform for trans individuals to connect, share their stories, and find support within their own community. Thanks for joining us as we hear the stories of gender diverse people and celebrate our community. Our community.